This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I am your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today. This is a parenting podcast. I am the mother of four and constantly learning and trying to grow as a parent myself. And so I started this podcast so that I could interview experts that could help me, that could help you, and could help anybody else in your life helping raise kids. And today, this is a good one. This podcast is episode 32, and I'm talking with Tessa Stuckey. Tessa is the mother of four herself. She is a licensed therapist and the author of the book, For the Sake of Our Youth. She works with teens to help them navigate life, and she also helps parents navigate parenting in today's culture. So Tessa has identified six cultural influences that kids are facing every single day, that teenagers are facing, that can lead to harmful behaviors in our children. So this is an episode that I don't want it to alarm you. Um, I don't want to be alarmed either. You know, I never want to go too crazy on anything, but I think it's something that we need to be talking about and we need to wake up as parents and really pay attention to what our kids are consuming on a regular basis and how we can step in and take some preventative measures so that we can support our kids to the best of our abilities. And, you know, that's one of the big reasons I started this podcast, so that I could learn from these experts, and hopefully you all can learn as well, and, you know, we can do the hard things now that will hopefully help us out later. I am here cheering you on and just want to provide a support system for you in this endeavor because parenting is really hard. If you do enjoy this podcast, make sure you let Tessa know that you listened and that you're grateful for her message. I know I'm grateful for her message. She is the mom therapist on Instagram. Definitely check out her book for the sake of our youth. And she also has a podcast that kind of goes through the book as well, if that's more your thing. All right, if you enjoy this show, leave us a quick rating and review. That will be a huge help in new listeners who might need to hear this message that'll be helpful in them finding it. So thank you so much to those of you who have already done so. Enjoy my conversation with Tessa Stuckey. Well, today on Why Is Everyone Yelling? We have Tessa Stuckey on the show. Welcome to the show, Tessa. Hi, thank you for having me. Super excited about this. I'm just about to finish up your book, For the Sake of Our Youth. Really good information in that. Congratulations on publishing it. Thank you. Thank you. You know, in your podcast, you're like, I always talk about these things. And I said, what did you say? One day you wanted to write a book about it. So you just made it happen. Yeah. So basically, no, I'll tell you the true story. I sat down to write an article because this is kind of embarrassing, but stay with me. Um, There was another therapist in the area who had been featured in an article and I didn't agree with the things she was saying. Okay. I sat down kind of with some like angry fingers ready to... Like, be like, no, this is what people really need to know. 
And I just kept writing and writing and writing. And then eventually I was like, okay, this is maybe a couple of articles. And then I was like, no, wait, I think I can make this a book. So yeah, it became a book. That sounds so good too, because I feel like a lot of times people want to write books and then there are some forced feelings or yeah. pieces of the book. And it's like, sure. if you just have something on your heart and it just keeps pouring out, it's like, there's the book right there. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, as a kid, I always wanted to be an author. Um, and I, I remember like writing in my diaries and stuff and being like, someday I'm going to write something that's going to, you know, change the world or whatever. It's so dramatic. And, <laughs> um, and, and then I never pursued that. And I, I actually, my major in college was journalism. So there was still some sort of like writing in me, but I never really pursued that. But then when this, when I kind of got bombarded with fear within my work and, and then obviously got angry, <laughs> started writing an article, it became a reality for me. So you do, you do kind of have to have something to write about, you know, with some passion behind it, I think, to truly write a whole book. Okay, so what was that first article that you wrote about? So, <laughs> so, so my community about six years ago struggled, um, was kind of shocked and thrown off its you know, rocker because six high school girls had ended their life by suicide mm. within a year and a half. And we were all just like, what is going on? And so this news article that a therapist in the area wrote was um, very, I don't even know how to say it, but just everything you we have all heard about suicide and teen suicide um, for all these years. And my research, I was like deep in this research at the time about like what has changed because I grew up in this community and nobody, when I went to high school, had committed suicide, not to say that people haven't or that people didn't attempt, right? Because that's been happening forever. But, um, but for us to, our town to experience six within a year and a half, it was just so what is going on, right? And all of my clients at the time were suicidal. Mm. And they weren't showing those signs that we know suicide to look like they were not being abused or traumatized or even really struggling with mental illness, really. They didn't have depression and anxiety or bipolar disorder or OCD or anything that you would think like, oh, she must be really in a bad place if she's thinking about suicide. It was not like that at all. All my clients were seemingly happy. They had great families. They were involved in sports and activities. They had tons of friends. They were doing well in school. Like it did not add up. And so when I read that article in the newspaper um, where it featured that other therapist, I got mad because I was like, no, like we are just singing the same song and saying all the same things and something big has changed within our culture. And that's what I want people to understand. And so I sat down to write that article and, um, and I don't, again, it never actually became an article because I just kept it in my archives for, to go towards the book. So my book ended up being basically a huge article <laughs> of what I want parents to know about today's culture and how it's affecting our kids' mental health. It's not a mental illness problem anymore. It's a mental health problem. Okay. So I want to hear about the cultural influences, but first... Uh -huh. Tell us how you got into becoming a therapist. What made you want to go into this work? 
So I was in denial that I was going to be a therapist my whole life. And let me tell you why. <laughs> because both of my parents are therapists. Okay. And I was that kid that was like, no way. No way am I ever going to be like mom and dad. My parents are wonderful people. So me being like them is not a bad thing. But, <laughs> you know, when you're 14 years old and you're like, mom, dad, stop trying to be my therapist. Like, go away. And um, I'll never be a therapist and all that. So I tried really hard not to be a therapist. But I always knew that I was a helper in this world and that I had a helping heart. And so I became a teacher mm. and I did not like it <laughs> at all. But I became really close to the school counselor and she helped me. She basically became my therapist. She helped me through those years. And I thought that's that is what I want to do. So I um, started looking at grad schools and ended up getting into a program. And I'll never forget the first evening class sitting there and within the first couple minutes, just being overwhelmed with this feeling of Oh, this, this is what you're meant to do, Tessa, like, why have you waited so long? Like, this is this is it for you. And I remember getting home and telling my husband that and he said, Oh, finally, like, I've known that you're supposed to be a therapist ever since I've known you. But I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> I wanted you to figure that out on your own. I was like, Oh, you know me well. That's so, <laughs> so. good. Oh, that's so good. So you have four boys yourself. Do you do. typically work with teenage girls, though? Yeah. So I, whenever I became a therapist, I thought, oh, I want to work with teenage girls okay. because I can relate to a teenage girl because I was once a teenage girl. And I didn't feel, even though both of my parents are therapists, I still didn't feel like I had a safe place to go and talk and process emotions and that sort of thing. I did. My parents were great, but only to a certain extent. Right. And so um, I really wanted to become that for really all teenagers, but it was really the girls that were gravitating towards me. So I had a lot of teenage girl clients coming in. I never wanted to work with kids. Um, during my internship, I worked at a family domestic violence clinic and saw a lot of abused kids. And um, it just broke my heart too much. I knew that like I was losing sleep and I knew that I can't, I just can't work with that audience. I don't have the strength to do that or the thick skin. And so I'm not comfortable working with little kids. But I do work with a lot of parents now of little kids. Because um, that's really where it needs to start anyway, within the family system is the parents, especially when they're little like that. So okay, so as a therapist that works with teens, and no, you know, your kids are a little bit younger. How do you balance this like parenting these younger kids knowing like, you are so educated and you work every day with the people in the teenage years. Like, how are you balancing that? Like knowing what's coming, but also yeah. being in the moment for where your kids are right now. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do. And I, <laughs> this is what I didn't want to become with my parents. Because <laughs> they would, you know, something would happen at work with a client and it would, you know, create fear within them. And then they'd come home and like, I would do something that somewhat represented what their client was going through. And they'd be like, oh, you're doomed, you know? And anyway, um, it's been hard. I will not lie. It's been really hard. However, I think honestly, growing up with therapist parents uh, prepared me to be more aware of that. Um, 
but what really was happening, there's a really great advantage that I have with working with teenagers too, is, you know, they tell me all their secrets, everything going on in their world. And it can really help me say, okay, let's take care of this problem now so that when you're 15, I'm not like even little things. Like I have parents that come in and say, he never will take the trash out when I ask him. And I'll, I'll say, well, when did you start asking him to help out around the house? And they would say, oh, just, you know, earlier this year, or we just realized two weeks ago that he doesn't do anything around the house or whatever. And, and I have to, you know, be the voice for these teenagers and say, well, well, of course, he's, he's gonna have some pushback with this. He's not used to you asking, like having these expectations for him. Anyway, so things like that, the little things like that really got my attention. I'm like, okay, if I want my kids to be contributors within my household, I need to start while they're young, right? Um, and then more and more stuff would come to my attention. And then the really, really scary stuff started coming to my attention. Uh, kind of what I was saying earlier about these suicidal ideation and every single one of my clients one after another and they weren't I didn't want to send them to the hospital because they didn't have that mental illness or the intense abuse or trauma or anything like that but protocol I had to send them to the hospital and then sometimes they did end up having trauma and abuse and and mental illness or getting put on medication and it, they didn't actually need medication and so what happened I I remember sitting with like my last client of the day and just being so exhausted from having literally the same conversation with all of my clients all at the same time. And just asking her point blank, like you are not the typical person that would have suicidal thoughts. What the heck, like what is going on with you? When did you start having suicidal thoughts? And like, why do you think? And I'll never forget her looking me straight in the face. She goes, Tessa, don't you know we want everything and we want it now. Mm -hmm. And if we feel like crap, then we want that fixed immediately. And it just like light bulb, like, oh my gosh, we're raising our kids in a world where everything is instant and they don't know, they don't know how to be patient or how to build resilience. And that starts when they're itty bitty. And so I went home and my son was about five at the, my oldest was about five at the time. And I remember being like, we are done with making things so convenient mm. by using screens. Like I'm done with it. If you're going to throw a tantrum or you're going to have an emotional breakdown, I'm going to let you suffer through that a little bit so that you can build the emotional strength needed. Because when you hit those hormonal years, like there is no instant fix for those big emotional um, moments that feel like the world is ending. There's no instant fix for that. And so with suicide happening so much today, it's on the forefront of their minds already. Just even, oh my gosh, we just lost an 11 year old recently and it's just so heartbreaking. So it's happening younger and younger. I'm getting younger and younger clients coming in. And I told you, I don't work with kids, but mm -hmm. I think I'm going to have to start working with kids because I'm getting these 10 year olds and these nine year olds. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, what so is young. going on? Yeah. Um, and so I went on a big, you know, journey to figure out what is happening within our culture that's impacting our kids mental health. And those were became the six cultural influences that I found But immediate gratification is the number one big one that I, I took hold of with my kids as quick as I could. And it was a long process for me to understand what all that meant, you know, and it came down to like me making adjustments with like, 
making them watch commercials instead yeah. of fast forwarding it, you know, or uh, not ordering something on Amazon Prime, but doing a regular shipping thing and stuff like that. It, it, so it's been an interesting journey raising kids without the, the convenience of the screens. Um, but it's actually been a really great thing too. And my kids, they say that they get bored, but then five seconds later they handle it and they're doing something creative and fun. And it's just, it's just a better lifestyle for their emotional well being. And I, and I want every single parent to know that, that the convenience of screens today is not worth the heartache that is down the road if we don't help build resilience within our kids. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's just it. Like it's not about shaming someone for putting a screen in their kid's face because sometimes like there are desperate moments and you're like, I don't know what else to do. But what we, what you said right there is like the heartache of what it causes later because there's nothing to say that like for a little bit of time, every once in a while, your three-year-old can't look at a screen but right. the problem is, is that it is addictive. And then that instant gratification that you, you then begin to just assume that's how everything in life should be handed to you. And so yeah. if you don't stop it early. Yeah. And I think it's just like, where's the cutoff? For yeah. That, right. Where is so it? like if you go out to eat with your 18 month old and they're fussing and it's so, it's so for me at least like in my experience, it was like embarrassing if my kid was yeah. fussing and. Like I'm, I get anxious and I'm like, where's his binky and where does he have a poopy diaper and all this. And then I discovered how, how nice it was to have my phone and just set him up with Mickey Mouse. Like, oh, I can enjoy my meal. I can talk to my husband without being interrupted. Like it was so nice. But then where's the, again, where's the cutoff? Like that becomes habitual. And then, you know, all of a sudden you have a nine-year-old who, who won't look up from, watching a show on Netflix while you're at the dinner table. And it's like, how did we get here? You know, and get here. Yeah. Yeah. And I have all these parents that come to me and say things like, if only I knew, if only I could go back 10 years and I'm sitting with this information and I, I just can't be quiet about it. And I do with all my heart believe that as parents, we're doing the best that we can with the information that we have. And so when I talk about this, by no means am I trying to be shaming and everyone has to figure out what's best for their family. Um, But if you haven't thought about some of this stuff, which why would you? I've only thought about it because of my job. If you haven't thought about some of these things, then you're going to get lost in the, oh, we have no cutoff. We have no boundaries with this. We have no balance. Like my kid doesn't ever want to go outside and do anything or they're always complaining about being bored and you know, it just becomes a lifestyle that's not healthy. And I mean, I, I will say it. We have four, two, four, six, eight. We don't do technology at restaurants. We don't do any of that. And it's harder. Like it is, it is yes. hard yes. to sit at a restaurant yeah. with that many kids and like not be able to be like, just here, just take it. Just, just, you know, so we can hang out. Yeah. I mean, I come with my bag of a million tricks. Sometimes I forget yeah. it. And I mean, it's just like it is it's more roll up your sleeves like but harder now for reward later is what I is what I feel not reward, but no. Yeah. Well, reward. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, like being exhausted and being annoyed with our kids when they're little at a restaurant, I would much rather take that hardship than like the heartache of knowing my child is thinking about suicide. 
or has attempted suicide or God forbid has ended their life. You know, I will do anything. I mean, my number one goal with my kids is to keep them alive. Yeah. And I think that that's most parents, yeah. right? Like I, we prayed for you. We wanted you. We had you. Now let's got to We got to keep you alive, yeah. you know? <laughs> and so this is just something that, you know, our cultural, there's a cultural storm that has taken over and it's, I, I believe it's tricking everyone and it's created that it's just very easy to fall into it. And it's time for some of us to wake up and, and fight back. So let's go over. I know that it's like a lengthy, it, it's too lengthy to go into super great detail in all of them, yeah. but can you yeah. list off the six cultural influences and then we can kind of touch on what we think is like super important for this conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, the first one is that it's become somewhat of a trend and a glorified option. It's being romanticized. Um, and because kids don't have their prefrontal cortex fully developed, they can't always understand the finality of death and suicide. And so if it's become this like, you know, glorified option that's being talked about all the time, but not balanced with the appropriate preventative care, then when they have a hard day, they are going to think it's on the table for them as an option. They are going to think about it. So that's the first one is that it's happening now more than ever. People are talking about it more than ever. And we're not providing the preventative care. The yeah. second one, I was just the preventative care. Is that what you're going to ask? No, me? go ahead. No, you go. The preventative care is all the things that I talk about, like in my book and on my Instagram and in my podcast is, is, fighting back that cultural storm and being talked about just as much. It's great to spread awareness about teen suicide, but if we don't balance that with, okay, this is what we need to do about it to prevent it, then it's just putting it in their heads as an idea. Yeah. And when you say that glorified option, it's like, and you write about this as well, they don't fully understand that I'm gone. I'm gone. Like it, yes, right. it's going to be talked about for weeks on end, but like I'm gone. And they see, they see these other people being talked about. Yep. And there's this fantasy. And I really blame the Netflix show for this mm, one. That 13, um, what's it called? Yep, 13 Reasons Why. There's the fantasy, and other movies too, but there's the fantasy that you get to see everyone missing you yeah. and crying over you, yeah. right? And you get to um, let everyone know why you did it. And, and there's that, it's a fantasy, right? When in reality, you don't. Yeah. And that's what I end up telling my clients is you are, who are really thinking about it. I say, you know, whether you're religious or not, we don't actually know what happens after we die mm. because none of us have died. And like, how scary is that? And that kind of gets them. They, they always go, oh, I never thought of it that way. Like, yeah, you know, and they're like, but I just don't want to feel like this anymore. And I'm like, absolutely. So let's find some things to help you not feel like mm. that anymore. But you're not feel anything if you die, you know, and it, it, they don't think that way. They don't think about the longevity, you know, and they can't, it's their prefrontal cortex. It's not developed. And so they literally can't, you know? Um, okay. So then the second one I already went into, it's the immediate gratification. It's the need for everything to be instant. And obviously technology is a wonderful tool. It has saved lives. It's been a wonder. I love that. I don't have to take my disposable camera to, CVS, you know, and wait for them to develop it. I, there's some good things that come with technology. Um, but in order for our kids to build resilience, 
We need to not give them those immediate fixes all the time. We need to step back as the fixer and take on the more supportive role as a parent and not make it so convenient for them. You know, we all have our struggles that we can look back on, but kids today, they really don't have any heavy struggles beyond stuff that has to do with screens. Or, yeah, that's it. Really, those are their big struggles. And it's stuff that has to do with screens or social media, which I'll talk about that, or pressure that they're feeling, which I'll talk about that too. But a lot of the pressure is coming from the social media. So um, they have, I should re-say that, they have real struggles. um, But it's all being from, it's all coming from this one place of a phone. And that is why we have to step back and take that part, not away from them, but relook at how we want our kids to be on screen. So the immediate gratification is the second one. They, they are searching for instant fixes and there's no instant fix for emotional distress. You know, and when you, when you turn 12, 13 and you're experiencing those hormones and you're, you start to experience real big emotions for the first time, it's really intense. You know, and it does, it feels like the world is against you sometimes. And, and if we don't gear our kids up with some resilience, then they're not going to handle that very well. Um, pause, pause in the, um, the influences. We're going to continue on the list, but question in regards to that as a parent, you know, I, I see it in my nine-year-old, my eight-year-old already, like these big emotions. He's, he's a big feeler. And I, I try really hard to say like I understand that you're feeling like really angry right now, really upset. I'm real, and I and because I'm reading these books and trying to process this with him. But yeah. when they get to those hormonal stages, like, do you have any tips for how we should like receive the like I hate you and you know like you don't understand me kind of things? Yes, I do. <laughs> um, one is to not take it personally, and I know that that's a hard one, and. It's, I mean, it's just, it's really hard not to take it personally, but really and truly they don't, they're still learning how to regulate their emotions. I don't care if you're the most therapeutic mom in the world. I mean, look at me. My parents were both therapists (laughs) and I could not regulate my emotions very well when I was a teenager and adults. I mean, we struggle as adults sometimes to regulate our emotions, right? So when they're experiencing those big emotions for the first time and they say something like, I hate you. Um, don't take it personally, really and truly, they are hurting, and they are trying to hurt you. It's hurt. I really believe hurt people hurt people. And they're hurting in that moment. So if in that moment, you can remind yourself like, okay, he must be really hurting if he's talking to me like that. And that doesn't excuse that behavior, right? Like we don't ever want to make our kids think like, it's okay for you to say those things to me. So responding with, okay, I can see that you're really upset with me. Why don't you go cool off and we'll talk about this later. And then in that talk later, you say something like, I really don't like the way you spoke to me and I'm not okay with that. So, you know, you're allowed to do this, this and this when you get angry, but you're not allowed to do something like that when you're angry. Um, And then you guys can come up with some sort of plan with that. Um, But it, it is hard when they get those big emotions and they say those things to you. Um, but that, that is my biggest advice is to try not to take it personally and just remind yourself that they are really truly going through something that's hurtful. Okay. Love it. Number three. Okay. So the third one is, I can't remember if it's the third or fourth one in my book. 
What's is it lack of, lack of personal connection? Okay. Yeah. So that's the other second one. So, or that's the other big one. So the biggest two I would say are the, the need for immediate fixes and lack of personal connection. And I mean, there's no denying that our culture is so disconnected right now, even more so because of the pandemic, but this was happening before. Um, you know, studies show that we are the loneliest that we've ever been. And that's because we're all behind a screen. And it's happening again, right from the get go, when you go out to eat, and your baby starts fussing, and you hand them a phone, you just disconnected the baby from the table from the family. And it doesn't feel like that when they're babies, because you just need them to stop being so fussy. But again, where do you draw the line? Where's the boundary? When do you stop doing that with them? Um, you want to practice those connections and those communication skills starting from the get go. And then kids are having a hard time talking to each other because they only typically do it through screens a lot. And what's happening with that is it's tricking us. It's giving us a big dopamine dump, um, but no oxytocin. Mm. And oxytocin is the chemical that we feel when we truly connect with others, when we make eye contact, when we hug, when we hold hands, that sort of thing. Um, and our kids aren't feeling that as much. They might feel it at school here and there, but not, there's still not a lot of opportunities for them to truly socialize. Um, and when, when kids are truly addicted to their screens or that's all they want to do, play video games, um, Snapchat, whatever, they don't have those opportunities for oxytocin. So there's a huge rise in social anxiety in young kids and teenagers. And it's due to, um, not having the opportunities to learn how to socialize. Um, so with, with, feeling so disconnected and lonely and um, um, alone in this world, it would only be natural that someone would want some attention, right? And so that is my fourth contributing factor is the need for attention. And it's not, you know, everyone wants attention in their own way. It's a very natural, uh, humans need attention. And it's not a bad thing. It's feeling important and valued, right? That's what attention truly is. So it's not a bad thing. However, what's happening now is kids are seeking and needing attention more than ever. And they will go to great lengths to get that attention. And a surefire way to get attention is to talk about stuff like suicide or self harm, um, especially on social media. So attention has become or using that to seek attention has become very normalized. They're desensitized to it. If their friend is gone for a week and a half, comes back to school, finds out that they've been in, you know, the psych hospital for that whole time, they don't really bat an eye. They're just mm. like, Oh, okay. Yeah, me too. Last year, you know, um, it's become very normalized and they're desensitized to it. So, um, so I mentioned att attention seeking on social media. So that's the fifth one. Am I going too fast? No, you you're good. Okay. No. I'll, inter um, I'll, I'll interject if I have a okay. like, follow up okay. question. Okay. So social media. So there's, oh, social media. Social media was <sighs> not made. I know. There's I can't so imagine growing up with it. I, tr I truly, I'm 37. I just, right. we had instant yeah. messenger, you know, yep. in high school. Yep. Yeah. But and I, I will openly say I was addicted to instant messenger. Oh yeah, for like, sure. I was obsessed with getting on, staying up till two in the morning, seeing who was there. Oh my gosh, I have to get home and get on it. Like obsessed. And that was now, so small compared to what and, we have now. 
Well, that is what I compare Snapchat to. So Snapchat is today's version of I am. Oh, interesting. Cause you're shooting them off back and forth. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's like text messaging and you can send pictures if you want. And do you remember with I am, if you exited out of the conversation, it went away forever. Mm, Like you could choose to save it or Mm -hmm. it would go, it would disappear. Whereas Instagram stays. Yeah. It's always there. So Snapchat, um, the, the, Biggest difference, obviously, with that is that it's not just on a computer connected to a wall that you have to get home to use. Yeah. It's in their pocket all the time. So um, big problems with social media include phone addiction, right? Um, And then another big one is unrealistic comparisons and the need for feeling like you have to live like this perfect lifestyle because everyone else on social media is living a perfect lifestyle. Um. And it's hard because social media was not created for kids. It was created for adults. I remember getting my first Facebook account when I was in college and being like, oh, this is cool. Only college kids can get on this. Mm-hmm. I felt safe on Facebook. Like, oh, if anybody else is on this, it's because they go to the, you saw where they went to school and you connected with your friends from high school and it was just so fun. Um, and then obviously that blew up into a completely different, a completely different layer of social media. So, um, so I see the biggest problems with social media are phone addiction, um, unrealistic comparisons, and and so it's really hard to build some self-confidence. Um, predators, the mm-hmm. predators are really, um, they're out there and they know exactly how to target our kids and where to find them. Um, porn, a lot of kids, you know, the average age for kids to see porn for the first time now is eight years old. And so that comes from social media. That's so and scary. And sharing it. I know. I, I know. know. My oldest is eight. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. you know, it's this is the social media thing. It's like one of those things and, and screen time too. I'm like, I, I'm big on this. I talk about this a lot on the podcast. And it's like, I don't want to be an alarmist, but like this is alarming. Yeah, I think that's the thing I struggle with the most when I talk, when I go get presentations or I talk with other parents or even like friends of mine that have young kids, like they don't necessarily want to hear it or they don't take it as seriously as I feel (laughs) that it needs to be taken. And I feel like Chicken Little running around being like, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. No one is listening to me. And I'm like, no, but really like these kids are coming into my office, pouring their hearts out to me about this stuff. And when I say to them, do you think that you're on your phone too much? They, oh my gosh, they're like, yes, I have a problem with my phone. I have a love-hate relationship with it. I'm so, I wish my mom never gave it to me. And I have that at 37. Exactly. Right? So imagine being a teenager where you cannot regulate your emotions, your prefrontal cortex isn't developed, and it's just, all your other friends are doing it, right? Because when you're a teenager, you want to be accepted by your peers. Mm-hmm. And so all your friends are on Snapchat. They're all doing the TikTok dance. It's like, how can I not do that? And it's just creating this space where all these kids are running around with these like mentally unhealthy, emotional distress. And everyone's throwing their hands up going, well, this is just the world we live in. And I, I refuse to think that way, <laughs> you know? Hey friends, a quick break here to thank Prevenex for supporting this episode of the podcast. I am so grateful to have them on board as a supporter of this show and listen, they have the best multivitamins, supplements, and protein powder on the market. I use their protein powder every single day. Um, I work out almost every single day and it's the easiest quick hit I can get after a workout. I just shake it up and get myself a drink while I'm on the go. 
And the cool thing about their protein powder is it's vegan, if that's something you care about. Um, if you use one scoop, it provides 10 grams of protein. Two scoops provides 20 grams of protein. And what I love is that it provides all sorts of vitamins and minerals as well in that protein powder that a lot of other protein powders don't provide. I've, I've cross-checked nutrition labels and you're getting a lot of good stuff in their protein powder. Um, my kids also use their vitamins. They have super vites. They have a really cool give back program for every bottle you purchase. They donate a bottle to malnourished kids around the world. They actually recently just hit their 1 millionth donation, which is so cool. I'm proud to partner with Prevenex. If you are looking for a new place to get your vitamins, your multivitamins, your supplements, this is a stand-up business with quality, clean ingredients. Go to Prevenex.com. Use the code Lindsay15, that's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, one five at checkout, and you can save 15% off your order. Prevenex.com, use the code Lindsay15. Okay, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Tessa Stuckey. I feel like if I was a teenager right now, I love to dance and I love that stuff. And I'm yeah. like, I would be so into TikTok dances. I, I just know too. it. Like I was a cheerleader. So yeah. like, how do you provide like the fun part of it without giving, you know what I mean? There's like yeah, those lines. It's like, where are it's, they? Right. And that's the thing is like, technology isn't going away. Smartphones aren't going away. Social media is not going away. So I don't sit here and preach like, don't ever let your kids have phones. Don't ever let them have screens. Don't let them ever have social media. Like, no, no, no. I don't ever try to preach that by any means. But what I would like for parents to take away from my message is, okay, this is information that I can work with mm. when my child has a screen yeah. or when I decide that they're old enough to get social media or get a smartphone. Like I know that these are the things that I need to be aware of and talk to my child about and like start having those conversations with now so that when they are ready, that that, well, that would make them ready, right. Is to be aware of all the dangers that come with it. So, it, but I would be too, I would have been that kid. It would have been so fun. Yeah, I would have totally done that. And then, but if I, I wonder what I would have done if I was so emotionally distressed that I was in therapy and having those really scary thoughts. And my, I wonder what I would have responded if my therapist said, do you think that maybe it has to do with how much time you're on TikTok or what you're doing? I don't know. I wonder what I would say. I, I would probably be like, yeah, probably there's something to it, you know, like, <sighs> it's I know. hard. And so when I talk to teenagers, I ask them, I ask them what, well, first of all, I have hope for future generations because a, a lot of my clients are like, oh, I'm never giving my kid a smartphone. Like no way. Like we're, we're like second generation almost, or like decade into this now. So we've seen the repercussions. Yeah. I mean, it's finding out that cigarettes are bad for you. Yeah. So like teach your kid not to smoke cigarettes. Right. Yeah. Well, here we are. Okay, smartphones are bad for our mental health as a young kid. So they're going to teach their kids by not giving them smartphones. I'm really excited for that. Yeah. <laughs> but in the meantime, we have to protect the kids and the teenagers that are in it now. But I ask them um, if I, or I'll say to them, you know, I've got my little kids. So my son is going to be in fifth grade soon. Um, what are your thoughts? Like, when should I let him have a phone? Or what do you think? And I mean, I already know my answer, but they always say, 
oh gosh, don't hold off as long as you can. Excuse me. Don't give him a phone. Don't like wait as long as you can before you give him the phone. And just that. So then I wake them up a little bit and I go, well, why? And then they tell me why. And then I say, well, so how, how do you think it's affecting you then? Mm -hmm. Do you think all those things that you're fearful for my child or your little sister or your, you know, cousin's baby, like if you're worried about that for them, like what's going on for you? And that, I mean, that opens so many doors for them, for them to go, oh my gosh, yeah, it really has affected me in a lot of ways. Or I'll have, um, sometimes parents will put some pretty hard restrictions on their kids' phones and they'll come in to get really mad with me. Like, I'm so mad at my dad. He only lets me be on Snapchat for one hour a day. Like, da 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 And uh, literally a week later, I'll be like, how are you doing with just one hour a day on Snapchat? And they'll they'll say, oh my gosh, I, I honestly... I don't think I ever even reached the limit now. Like I have other things to do. I reached it one day and then now I just don't even care. Or like I'll purposely get on Snapchat with intention to get something, mm-hmm. you know, text one person. And then I just don't sit there and mindlessly scroll and that sort of thing. And so they actually are thankful when we put those, those restrictions on their phone. What I was thinking about that when you were saying like that dad said it to an hour, it's like, I mean, this is what we're learning early on now too it's like now when I my kids want to play video games I'm like okay I'm gonna set a 30 minute timer but so much is it's so basic but it's just like those upfront boundaries and those upfront expectations instead of just like ripping it away like starting with those boundaries and expectations I feel like will save us a world of struggle yeah and so for some people they need to not even do video games and screens at all because they find out pretty quickly that for their kids, it's just too much and they're not ready for it. And every kid is different and every family is different. And, you know, my second son, like he cannot handle the video game thing. Like if we it's let him really have it hard. for, yeah, if we let him have it for 45 minutes, like he throws a big fit when it's time to turn it off. And so some people, it's just not even worth allowing at all. But for other people, when you feel comfortable doing it, it's so important to have those talks of expectation before, like you said, like before you rip it away from them so that they're aware that like when the timer goes off, like I really am taking it away from you. Um, and so that they know what to expect, you know, that it's really important to do that with your kids. Okay. So the kids that are saying, I wish I never had it. Here's my question for you. You said, I know my answer. And we already (laughs) said your oldest is nine. So what is your answer on your smartphones or flip phones or gab phones or whatever with your kids? So we have a gab phone now that's our house phone um, that we use. The boys all know how to use it. They can call grandma whenever they want. I love that idea. Yeah. It's I really, you know, I reached out to gab and they wanted to send me a phone um, so that I could be an affiliate and all that. And so it's like, okay, yeah, but what do I need it for? Like, what a waste of a phone. Because, like you don't need it yet for your kid. To yeah. Drive. Like he's not driving. That was my first thought. Yeah. Like my kids aren't going really anywhere. And, and it was over COVID too. So they're <laughs> really not going anywhere. Um, so I thought, you know what? We don't have a house phone. Like my kids do not know the purpose of a house phone and they know how to unlock my phone for an emergency, mm-hmm. but like that's it. And so I thought this is going to be our house phone. So, so smart. Um, we talk about that yeah. all the time. My husband's like, people need house phones. Like the neighbor yeah. kid 
needs to be able to call the house phone instead of his mom texting me and being like, so-and-so wants to play. Like, I don't need to be the middleman. I mean, in our neighborhood, a lot of times kids just knock on the door. But like, if that's not the option, like call the house phone like we did in 1992. Right. Right. Do you remember the anxiety of that? Like, the, yeah, the, who's going to answer? I hope the dad doesn't answer. Yeah. <laughs> See, our kids don't even have to go through that. Yeah. Right. Like we. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah. So like we had to experience some moments of anxiety when we were kids if we really wanted to have like play with our friends. Or like so- um, socialize with like the yeah. parent, like to ask, right. to like, ask on the house phone. I'm good. How are you? Yeah. Oh, so awkward. Um, but so our kids, like, you're right. Like we're the middlemen. Like we get texts from the mom yep. all the time. So we got a house phone. Uh, the gab phone is a house phone. And you obviously already know what a gab wireless Yeah, but you can is. explain to the listeners. They might Yeah. Not. So the listeners, it's just a call and text, but it looks like a smartphone. So there's no internet, no social media, no um, extra apps that you can on it. So it's a really, really great first phone. And so we have that as our house phone. And um, if my son wanted to go to uh, a friend's house, I would let him take it um, or not. I'm not really worried about that. He can always ask the mom to use her phone, you know, or to call me. But if he feels more comfortable taking it with him, that's fine, too. That hasn't happened yet, though, now that I think of it. But I'm I'm prepared for that to happen. It'll be an option. Um, yeah. I also like the watches, like the gizmo mm-hmm. that only calls and texts and you just decide who... Can, we don't have one, but I'm thinking about getting one for my oldest soon. He's going to be in fourth grade next year. But um, I mean, really, do we need one? I don't know. I know. You know? Yeah, same. But <laughs> so, it is the same uh, thing, though. Like, even if you guys have a house phone, I was just thinking about that. Like, a lot of times after school at, like, dinner time, all the moms will text and just be like, hey, can you send Marshall home? Or, hey, it's time for dinner. Yeah. But I'm like, what yeah. if we all had house phones? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. and then we could just call whoever answers and yeah. sort of. It would be nice. Because then I always feel like I, th- it also is a kind of thing where I always feel like I have to kind of like pay attention to my text messages because I, oh, I right. got to make sure like she hasn't texted me to send so-and-so right. home. Exactly. Bring exactly. back the house phone. Yes. I'm all about it. Oh, <laughs> yes. I really like, so like I said, every family is different and has different needs. So what I'm seeing a lot is um, divorced parents. Oh yeah, it is really comforting to know that their kid is okay or their kid has um, an ability to communicate with the mom or the dad that they're not with. Like so, whatever weekend they're on. So I have a lot of families who they give like their six-year-old the Gab phone or uh, one of those Gizmo watches because it's really comforting and you know, sometimes for safety measures and that sort of thing. Um, so that's a really great option for parents of even younger kids that have to deal with the on and off weekends. You know, another one is, have you heard of pinwheel? No. Okay. So it's new and they sent me a phone as well. And I love it. Now it's a little bit different than gab. It's, it looks like a smartphone. Um, no internet, no social media. However, they have 150 approved apps that as the parent, you can Mm. put on the phone. There's no app store. So the kid can never adjust what apps are on their phone. So like games and stuff. So, well, I don't like games. I don't really either. It's, I mean, it's the same (laughs) Um, thing as staring at a screen. Yeah. And it's that screen addiction and no, they don't have any games. Um, they, they actually just asked me to join their council of therapists so that I could give my therapeutic 
um, opinion on the apps that they approve and all of that. But um, no, like music, like oh, um, yeah. Spotify kids, That's you know, great. You know, Pandora kids, stuff like that. Um, things that they might need for school. Bark is on there. Um, so it's, I really like Pinwheel too. You should look into it. They're I based will. out of Austin. Okay. Um, I can send you the link on Instagram too, because I really, I just love what they're doing. Their whole mission is to teach families. This is a tool, not a toy. Yeah. Um, and so that's another great starter phone that I really love and plan on, you know, letting my kids have when they're a little bit older, as far as when they are ready. Yeah. So I, know. I get past this all the time. So all, I mean, all the time. Um, again, same answer of every kid is different. Every family is different. Everyone has different needs. Um, I do believe that as long as parents are aware of screen addiction and all the things we're talking about today, and they have had numerous conversations with their kid, then they can start introducing the gab phone, you know, around fifth grade, fifth, sixth grade. I still think that's a little too young, but sorry. I'm getting a lot of feedback from parents saying their kid really is the only one without a phone. It's crazy. And I know my son in third grade just told me about his friend that just got the new iPhone 12. Oh my gosh. I don't have the new iPhone 12. I'm like, what? What? (laughs) Um, And uh, so I do say, you know, around fifth or sixth grade, I could see they're they're becoming more social and doing more things outside of the house. Um, sports and all of that. Yeah, that's, I think that that's okay to start with the watch or the gab wireless or even the pinwheel. Um, I will say as far as social media to hold out as long as you possibly can. Um, I do hate TikTok the most. I think it is everything that I'm against right now, that instant fix, that attention seeking, the, the screen addiction, all of that. Um, and so I typically I see a shift in maturity at 16. Okay. So if people really need an age, 16 seems to be the age that teenagers can handle it a little bit better. Um, Middle school, no way. Hard no for me. No, especially if you have, do you have boys or girls? All boys. Or both? Same as you. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, especially for girls. Um, boys too, for sure. Boys really struggle more with the gaming stuff. Oh, for sure. For sure. They get social media like in the fifth and sixth grade and it, it ruins them. It almost creates trauma for them. And I know I sound dramatic, but that is actually what's happening for them is they are starting to between the ages of 11 and 15 are really sensitive years for girls and boys too. But mostly girls, because they are learning these dealing with all these hormones, and these big emotions and learning how to self regulate and cope. And if you are not careful, they will easily fall into really unhealthy coping skills like self harm. And they learn that from each other and social media. So and and they feel, you know, kind of what I was saying with social media, like, um, that self-confidence, it's impossible to build it when you're comparing yourself to these people that are, you know, with filters and all that stuff. So I shouldn't say just girls in those years. Boys, definitely, those are sensitive years for boys as well. But there's something about 16 that seems to be an appropriate age for them to say, yeah, I, I got Snapchat, but I don't really care about streaks or I don't, 
I just have my friends on there. Like, I don't really care. I don't check anyone's stories. Like, they just don't seem as interested at 16 as, you know, before. Yeah, there's got to be something about making it that far, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, without, like, starting the addiction at 12. That's a big deal. I know. It's like, how do we as parents... You know, I, you know, this is, we say this to our kids all the time. We're like, you aren't going to remember like the times that you were staring at your phone. You're going to remember all these other fun adventures that we did. But like, how do you really, really nail that in? Like, I, you know, it's like. So I'll tell you what I do. Um, I do this with my big presentations and I ask everyone to think of a good memory. And these are adults. These are teenagers. These are kids. It's all ages. Think of a good memory It can be from five minutes ago. It can be from five years ago. It doesn't matter. Just think of a good memory that gives you the warm and fuzzies inside. And then I have everyone, I say, okay, raise your hand if if your memory had something to do with spending time with family. And about, usually about half of the crowd will raise their hand, if not more. Um, And then I say, okay, raise your hand if it has to do with spending time with friends. And almost the rest of the audience will raise their hand. Then occasionally, if they haven't all raised their hands, I'll say, okay, Raise your hand if your memory has to do with something that you did alone but felt really good when you were doing it, like working out or hanging out with your dog or something like that. And so then all the hands are up by then. And I say, okay, keep your hands up if your memory had anything to do with social media or screens or video games. And everyone puts their hand down, every single one of them. And that is so powerful to me because it's like the memories that we go to And when I ask teenagers this question, they always think of memories from before they had a phone Mm -hmm. when I ask them that question. So the memories we go to have nothing to do with our screens, and they hold so much more weight. The memories that we have that maybe, I mean, maybe we did make a cool TikTok, you know, dance with one of our friends, whatever, but it doesn't have as much weight as the memories that we have where someone does something silly and you're laughing so hard, you almost pee in your pants, you know, and there, or a family vacation that, you know, you really bonded with your cousin on or something like that. And so um, there's something to say about that. Right. And, and that usually it's hard to get, it's really hard to get our our parents, our kids on board with a lot of this because they're so focused on, but everybody else has one or everybody else has Snapchat or whatever. Um, but that's one of the struggles that I strongly encourage parents to allow your kid to have. You know, I had to drive a really ugly Oldsmobile <laughs> car when I was in high school and I it was embarrassing and I hated it. But that's one of my struggles that helped me get through life and build resilience. And if us saying no to Snapchat is one of their struggles, then so be it. They will be okay without it. They will be better off without it. Yeah, Snapchat and TikTok. Well, as an adult, those are two that I don't even engage in. I'm curious as an adult who, you know, it's kind of your life's work. How do you balance social media? Yeah, so I have gotten on all of the things because I need to stay aware of what the kids are getting on, right? So Snapchat, I never get on it ever. But when I have been on it, you know, So I don't use, I mean, I just don't use Snapchat in my personal life, but I've explored it and experienced it. TikTok, I opened a TikTok account over the summer during COVID. That's when I did too. Tell you, that thing is so addicting. I mean, it's not, I mean, it is, it's very entertaining. It really is. 
But with that entertainment comes like a waste of time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the, the chance of seeing something really inappropriate and sexual um, and just that the encouraging the screen addiction, you know, and maybe even avoiding your feelings, right? Yeah. Like I know a lot of people who pick up their phone to get on TikTok just to not feel uncomfortable in their emotions. And that's actually doing such a big disservice to themselves. So um, my biggest thing with social media, so I have Facebook and Instagram, those are my two um, main ones that I use. And I always ask myself, if, if I'm getting on to be productive, then let me get on and be productive. But if I'm doing it out of boredom, and I don't have an actual purpose or intention getting on, then there is a high chance that I'm going to put down my phone feeling not so great. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So I always try to make sure I have intention and purpose getting on Instagram or Facebook. Um, And then another an acronym a friend of mine came up with was lift. And it was to ask yourself if getting on social media is lifting for you. So L stands for are you being loved or loving others? I stands for are you being inspired or inspiring others? F stands for are you being fulfilled or fulfilling others? And then T stands for are you teaching? Mm. Are you being taught or teaching others? I love. So those. I love that. Yeah. I know because it's it's um, that productivity mindset of like, okay, I have a reason to get on social media, not just to scroll mindlessly and you know, not get anything out of it. So that's so good. Okay. Last your last talking point for the um oh, for the cultural influences. The, we're yeah. we're all over the place because I have questions <laughs> about are. the different topics. But so we did glorified option, immediate gratification, lack of personal connection, attention seeking social media, and now we're under pressure. Okay, so pressure. So because everyone is addicted to their screens and not sleeping well. Um, and also getting on social media, trying to be perfect all the time, they are overwhelmed. These kids are overwhelmed with pressure. We live in such a go, go, go society. There's not a lot of encouragement for like, Hey, like, what do you need to like relax? Right. It's like, no, you need to just deal with it. And what I see with these kids is, you know, they're supposed to get 10 to 12 hours within a 24 hour period of sleep, which is not realistic. Right. Um, but what I'm seeing them get is like four and it reminds me, I know. And it reminds me of when my husband and I first got married, he was working 90 plus hours a week. And when people would hear that, they would be like, dude, like you've got to figure something out and find some balance because that's not healthy. You know, he was getting up at 5am going to work and coming home like at 1am. Oh my gosh. And then I know. And then back up again, four hours later, And so what I see is like people were giving my husband mercy and like, hey, like, like you need to take care of yourself. But with our kids, our teenagers, we have all these big expectations with them. And we're like, deal with it, dude. Like, welcome to life. You need to get this done and this done and this done instead of like, hey, like, how are you doing? What can I help you with? This whole life thing is, is hard sometimes and it's overwhelming and you know, back to basics, how much sleep are you getting? And how can I help you with that? And a lot of times that can be a really great place to start. If you're ready to talk to your teenager about changing some of the phone and screen regulations within your house is to simply say, you know what, 
I just found out that sleep is so much more important than I thought it was. And, you know, you're only getting five hours of sleep every night. And so, you know, we've decided that we're going to turn off, you know, Wi-Fi and data at 10 p.m. every night. And this is for you to get some sleep and everyone in the family, we're all going to kind of do that, you know, whatever, so that you're focusing again on the, the basic needs of sleep. Um, and so, yeah, the academic pressures are high, family expectations are high, and then their pressures from within are, are really, really high and, and a lot of times unrealistic. So, so given all those cultural influences and, you know, we talked about the preventative care at the beginning a little bit, what's your summation of what we should be doing as parents as like we enter these teen years being armed with this knowledge? We have the knowledge. What do we do? So, so say you delayed screens and delayed social media and all of that, and you are entering the teenage years and you're trying not to take things personally. The, The most important thing is to continue having a connection with your child or your teenager. And that doesn't mean forcing them to sit down and stare you in the face and making them tell you everything. It means spending time with them, um, doing things together, kind of almost, and this is going to sound kind of weird, but treating it as as if you're dating them. Mm. Because what I see, there's so many similarities between couples therapy and parent-teen therapy. And it's all about like communication skills and quality time. So if your your child or teenager is like not opening up to you, like go play basketball with Mm -hmm. them or go, you know, go get ice cream together and let it naturally and organically happen. Um, And what's hard to do as a parent is we have to learn how to validate their emotions and not become a lecturer when they're opening up to us, even when they tell us something like, scary or uncomfortable, you know. Um, but I always give the example of, you know, as women, I can speak for myself. And usually I get a lot of um, nods with this one. You know, we can have a hard day and go to our husbands and kind of vent to our husbands. And all I know for me, all I'm wanting is for him to hug me and say, like, yeah. I'm so sorry. You're, it's going to be okay, right? Um, but what I usually get is his response of, you know what you should do. Yeah, exactly. And I get so angry. And I start thinking like, do you think I'm dumb? Like, do you think I didn't already think of that? Do you think I can't handle this? And that's actually what happens with our teenagers when they come to us about something, even the big scary stuff. And we come back with, you know what you should do. They instantly will turn off. They will not tell you anything. They'll learn in that moment, like, well, not telling mom anything anymore. Um, So we have to really practice to sit in that discomfort and listen and validate their emotions. And I will say almost every time, I can't say 100%, but 99% of the time, your teen will share all this with you and then look at you and say, so what do you think I should do? Mm. So eventually, at the end of the conversation, they will either say, I feel so much better. Thank you for listening. Or what do you think I should do? And that's really what we want to hold, hold strong within our relationship with our kids. Okay. And then this is a big question. Okay. Parents who think their children, their child might be having suicidal ideation or thoughts, what what's the first step? So the first step is to have conversations with them and not overreact. It's really easy to overreact because 
gosh, what's more fearful than that, right? And a lot of times when we overreact, it's coming from a place of fear. But if you overreact, then you're going to signal to your kid like, oh, I wish I didn't tell my mom that, right? Um, So you have to make sure you don't overreact, but that you come up with a plan together. And that plan might include getting in with a therapist to talk some of that through. Um, A plan might include figuring out how to stay as safe as possible within the household. And that might mean getting rid of every single knife in the house and all the scissors and all the things that are glass, you know, kind of like baby proofing the house so that you know that they're safe. I even have parents that put baby monitors in their kids' rooms so that they can watch them or see them or sleep with them. Um, Because it, it is, it's really, really scary. And we have to, you have to come up with a plan to, to manage and to survive. So I like people going into therapy, making the house super safe. Um, if it's really, really bad and you don't feel like your child can stay safe or that you can monitor them, then they do have to go to the hospital. And that's, that's not always a fun thing to do, but it's needed sometimes for them to truly stay safe. Um, okay, Tessa, we're ending our time. I appreciate all of the, the really, really good information you've given here. And I I hope that, um, parents of teens or soon to be teens are feeling supported. Okay. So you guys can find Tessa, the mom therapist on Instagram, and you can get her book for the sake of our youth. Tessa, do you have a book best, most recent book you recommend? It doesn't have to be like a parent related book or anything, just like your most favorite recent book. book. Um, I've been reading like you, I read like three books at Uh the same time, but I've been reading, um, think again by Adam Grant. Have you heard of that? Well, I know Adam Grant, but I don't know the book. Okay. No, it's really good. It's all about like changing your way of thinking. I really love it. And like becoming more open-minded. I love it. Um, and then for comfort, I've been reading To Kill a Mockingbird again. I'm trying to kind of go through the classics again, or I didn't really, I was not a good student. So there was a lot of cliff note reading in high school and I'm like, maybe I should, but I, I did actually read To Kill a Mockingbird in high school and loved it. And so for comfort, I've been reading it at night. So I, that's what I've been reading right now. Yeah. What about a kid's book recommendation? So, um, do you know who Susan Verde is? I don't think so. Oh my gosh, I love her books. I wish I had one with me so I could show you, but hers are all about like love and peace and meditation and um, just kind of slowing down time a little bit and breathing. And I love it because it's, it's almost like that mindfulness and meditation that you're reading and then your kid is like actually practicing the slow breathing and all that stuff. But she has numerous kid children's books that I really love reading with my kids. Um, I love the idea of that too, because as parents, aren't we all always like, I wish time would just slow down. Like, how do I have an eight-year-old already? Like, this is crazy. Um, But I think, you know, we clearly can't slow down time, but if we can like make those intentional moments to slow, like to slow down, like actually slow down and embrace those times. And like be present in those moments so that you really, you know, everyone says like, um, remember these times you know, it goes by so fast. And it's like, I remember when the, they were really little, I'm like, I'm not embracing this. No, like, they're, it's so hard. Everyone's crying. There's all this poop everywhere. Like, oh my gosh, like this is not, like how do I be present? I was putting all this pressure on myself. Like how do I be present? I'm supposed to enjoy this and I'm not enjoying this, you know? Um, and so it is, it's 
really hard to remember to be present and to truly enjoy it. But you have to intentionally do that. And now that mine are out of diapers, I know yours, yours probably isn't right. But well, um, my youngest is in diapers, but honestly, like he's two and a half. And I just feel yeah. like, I feel like we're in a really, really good, good place right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a real easy toddler. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so. I feel I'm feeling that like I'm feeling probably similar to what you're feeling like it's going by fast. It's going by fast. Yeah. I'm not doing and babies so I, anymore. Yeah. And so like I have to like intentionally be like Tessa like enjoy this age right now. Like all of my kids are at awesome ages. Super love, fun like, ages. They're, six yeah. Nine. They're cool little dudes uh-huh. you know and and it's just so fun to just like laugh with them and be around them and joke with them and hear the way that they think about things and one of my favorite things is to like connect with them and they're asking me a deep question and I'm talking about it. And then they just say something like, do you think we could get another Star Wars Lego? Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, did you hear anything I was saying? Like, it makes me laugh so hard that like how cute their little minds work, you know? Um, So, but intentionally taking the time to remind myself to be present and to enjoy it and to slow things down is really important for me. Yeah. It's so funny too. Cause they're like, so you're like excited. Cause you're like, oh my gosh, she's asking me this deep question. Like this is uh-huh, awesome. Uh-huh. You're like, All and right, then you're like, to go. oh, that's it. You didn't want more. Yeah. I yeah, know exactly. Expand on that. Yeah. <laughs> I know my kids right now, my big ones are really into hearing about like stories from like when I got in trouble as a kid and things oh, like really? that. Yeah. Oh, like, funny. yeah did you ever do funny. anything to the babysitter? You know, it's uh-huh. like so funny to That's hear the really vast funny. stuff like that. I love that. Um, okay. What is your last message you want to leave with the audience today? The last message is, I think, um, that's a big question. I know. I feel like I have so much to say that we said in the, in the episode, but I think the biggest thing is you really are doing the best that you can and take this knowledge, take this information and do with it what you feel is going to be best for your family and the well-being of your kids. And, and just know that you really are doing your part to keep your kids safe and to help them build the strength and the resilience needed to be an independent individual when they get older. Thank you, Tessa. Thank you. All right, friends. Thanks for being here today. I hope that you found something helpful in this podcast episode. If it was a lot to take in in one episode, feel free to just digest it a little bit at a time and know that you are doing the best job and you are the best parent for your child. And I, I truly believe that. Um, don't forget to follow Tessa on Instagram. She is the mom therapist over there. Let her know um, that you listened and what you thought. You can find this podcast on Instagram. We are why is everyone yelling? My personal Instagram is lindsayhine626. I love connecting with listeners. So definitely reach out anytime if you just want to say hey, if you want to share any part of your life or suggest a guest, I would love to hear from you. And yeah, thanks Prevenex for supporting the show. Go to Prevenex.com and use the code Lindsay15. If you are interested in some clean and effective vitamins, supplements, protein powder, and kids' vitamins. All right. I think that's all I got, friends. Thanks for being here. And I hope you have the very best rest of your day. And we will see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling?